talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella talking baseball. The man and Bobby Fella, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque. Boy, I love that song. Especially Willie. Ever since I heard it the first time, Terry Cashman. Just gives me chills every time I hear it, and that's why I picked it for the intro to Dirty Kurtz Dugout. Welcome to episode number four. Good evening, everybody. This is Kurt Bavacqua, and welcome to the bench with me. You know, we've got quite a show for you tonight in no particular order because I never know where I'm going to go since just about 2010 up through today. From Miami to San Diego and all the way across the Pacific, we have seen things written regarding the Lost Boys of Summer. If you don't know who they are, there are about 650 former Major League players. Now, that's the number, that are non-vested. That means they've got less than four years of Major League service. Doug Gladstone, author of A Bitter Cup of Coffee, says the MLB, the Players Association, and the Major League Baseball Players Alumni Association have left behind and turned their back on these players. What is the story? We will talk to Doug Gladstone tonight and find out. Barry Bloom has written for MLB.com as a member of the Baseball Writers Association of America. This is the one that I like. He's a Hall of Fame voter and has been for quite some time, I believe, since 1992. We'll talk to him about that. He's the president of Sabre, Arizona, which is the Society for American Baseball Writers, and was a beat writer for the San Diego Union Tribune in 1984 when the Padres won their first National League championship. Oh, yeah, we were together. We're going to talk to him about the upcoming 2018 season, maybe his predictions, and what he views as any disappointments or players that have come forward this spring. And we're also going to talk to the always controversial Richard Goose Gossage, one of my favorite teammates of all time. I can't wait to get Goose on the phone from Colorado Springs where he resides. Just love the Goose. Before we get to all of that, I want you to think about this leading into the 2018 season. With all of your predictions, fantasy picks, weekend series, let's go back to November 1st, 2017. Seventh game of the World Series, Dodgers versus Astros, First inning, and I'm going to tell you why I can beat your team of superstars. You want to know why? In the first inning, Steve Springer leads off with a double. You say, that's a great start. But what followed was what won the Astros, not only Game 7 of the World Series, but the World Series. Naturally, when you win Game 7, you win the World Series. Alex Bregman's the next hitter. If you remember, he had a bouncing ball to the right side of the infield. 
that Cody Bellinger fielded and threw almost into the dugout. Springer scores. Bregman goes to second. Before Altuve can even make a hole in the batter's box for good footing, Bregman surprises everybody in the ballpark and steals third. What does Altuve do? He hits a weak ground ball to first base. Cody Bellinger might have had a play at home, but do you think he was going to throw the ball after he got through throwing Bregman's away? No way. It's not going to happen. Astros up 2-0 with one ball hit hard. Has the series been won then? Not yet. But the Dodgers' half of the inning was the telling inning. Chris Taylor, who had swing the swing in the bat all year long into the postseason, into the World Series, hits a double. He matches Springer. But here's the difference in the two teams. Corey Seager strikes out swinging wildly. Justin Turner gets hit by a pitch, men on first and second. Chris Taylor still on second base. Cody Bellinger swinging wildly, strikes out. Yasiel Puig hit by pitch. Bases loaded in the first inning with two punch outs. Jock Peterson hits a hardless ground, harmless ground ball to the second baseman. Three outs. The Dodgers do not score. Momentum completely shifts to the Houston Astros side of the field. The game's basically won from there. That's why you give me nine guys that play like the Houston Astros that hit the ball to the right side of the infield to get the runner over, that give themselves up like Jose Altuve did when he hit the ball to the right side of the infield to get uh, Bregman in from third base. None of the Dodger players were doing that. That's why, give me the Astros, I'll beat the Dodgers. And I don't look for the Dodgers to repeat in 2018. That's my two cents. You know, as we continue to bring quality content before we get uh, to Doug Gladstone here, we bring you great stuff, great guest, and an all-around professional podcast. And now we have some unbelievable quality rewards. If you enjoy Dirty Kurt's Dugout and want to support the show, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Kurt Bavacqua. If you don't know how to spell that, just Google it. That's patreon.com slash Bavacqua. It's the simplest and most direct way to help us produce more and better podcast episodes. This is an independent produced podcast. We aren't part of ESPN or any other media company. We work for you, the listener, so we need your support. There's four levels of reward for Patreon supporters. So go to Patreon, check it out. Sign up to be a regular contributor at whatever level suits you. The pinch hitter level gets you exclusive podcast content. The Hall of Fame level is awesome. I mean, I got a hold of something that you guys are going to love in the Hall of Fame level, and it's a limited edition bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon from Diamond Legends Wine and the good folks up at Wilson Creek Winery in Temecula, California, signed by either Trevor Hoffman, 
Raleigh Fingers, or Goose Gossage. Read about it. Take a look at it. And there's an array of other rewards at different levels. So, again, please go to patreon.com slash and sign up today. Doug Gladstone is an author. And he's also the man behind the March for Equality of the players that he claims were left behind in 1980, 1981, when the Major League Baseball Players Association was offered a deal by the owners of Major League Baseball to avert a strike in 1980. The strike happened in 81. But the more I look into this, the more it confuses me, the more questions I have, the more things I unfold. I want to talk to Doug, and I'm going to be sharing this with you with, I'm sure, in upcoming episodes, because our next episode's going to be Don Fair. I'm going right to the guy. And we're not only going to talk about this issue, but we're going to talk about collusion in baseball. We all know about that. And we're going to talk to Ballard Smith, who was the president of the San Diego Padres during collusion. And we're going to talk to him about a few things, including collusion. Doug, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much. And thank you for sticking up for all of these good players and the situation that they're in. Uh, tell me, what is the number one thing that you'd like to see Major League Baseball or the Major League Baseball Players Association in a combination, a combined effort do? Well, first of all, Kurt, thank you very much for having me in the dugout. I appreciate it immensely, and I hope your listeners will, um, and I know you've been obviously uh, trying to get the word out about this message, but I hope your listeners will learn something tonight. Um, The number one thing that I'm looking for right now is for MLB and the Players Association to increase uh, the payments that these men, there are 644 of them uh, left. Uh, There were 1,045 as of National Retirement Week in October of uh, 2009. So they're they're dropping uh, like flies. But I would like to see the payments increased to a straight $10,000 a man. As you and your listeners well know, probably um, too well, in fact, right now each man is getting $625 for every 43 game days of accrued service that they have on an active roster. So let me give you an an example. Um, The average man is really only – getting two and a half years worth of credit, which after taxes comes out to, in my estimation, you know, I'm not trying to poo-poo it, but um, given the economy and the scale of the game of baseball today, uh, an annual payment of $3,500 is chump change. Um, I would like to see uh, the annual payment uh, proffered to these men uh, increased to $10,000. Do away with this ridiculous actuarial computation of $625 uh, per man for every 43 game days of service and just give them all a straight $10,000. That would cost 
$4.4 million. Now, I'm not saying that's not a lot of money. It is a lot of money. Um, but given the economy of the game of baseball, this is a sport uh, that has made $500 million um, since 2015. That's MLB's uh, number, not mine. Um, this is a sport where the average uh, value of each Major League Baseball team increased 19% to $1.54 billion in 2016. And this is a sport, by the way, where the players' unions own health and welfare benefits fund um, is burgeoning up to $3 billion in their last audit uh, it was at $2.8 billion. We're not talking about a sport that is needing to take a tin cup and beg for a handout. This sport is doing very well. Sure, it is. Opinion, sure it is. But let's try to, instead of throwing out the huge numbers that are out there, and we all know that Major League Baseball is doing very well, and there's a lot of money in the pots of the Major League Baseball Players Association benefit plan. That's for damn sure. I can tell you that because I get notifications every year uh, when I renew my insurance or I get notifications every year on where we stand as far uh, as the investments uh, that the uh, part of the fund, because there's a part of my pension uh, that is fixed and there's a part that's variable. The variable part uh, is the one that the investment money is in. And, and we see that fluctuate from year to year or every two years or so, uh, we see a difference in our payments. So uh, do you think that Major League Baseball, I mean, in all fairness, uh, if this campaign more or less started in 2009 for you or right around that time, um, in 2011, uh, Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association, with a lo- along with – the Alumni Association, which sat in at the table. I found this out for a fact, Doug. They sat in on the bargaining table, and they put together the deal that you're talking about that you think is inadequate for the players that are being paid. I find inadequacies with it. I don't know about the amount as much as I do the way it was done. And we can get into that, but – the, the question that I have for you is, uh, do you think that effort is being made by either Major League Baseball, the Major League Baseball Players Association, or the Alumni Association out of Colorado Springs, which incidentally is a separate entity from the Major League Baseball Players Association? I want everybody to realize that because it can get confusing, not only for the average fan, but also for players, believe it or not. Do you think they're I'm trying? To, I have. I'm go ahead. No, I. I just. Again, do you think they're trying? Do you think an effort? Is I, being I don't. Made? I don't think they're trying at all. Okay. Um, first of all, and and I, I'm I'm going to just be very candid in the interest of transparency. MLB doesn't have to do anything legally in collective bargaining. Um, it is up to the onus of responsibility is on the players' union uh, to broach this matter in collective bargaining negotiations. It is definitely not up to the league. Now, I'm not absolving the league because if the league can write a $10 million check 
as it did to the Hall of Fame last year and basically put relics, museum pieces, um, over the interests of flesh and blood living men, uh, I think employers have a responsibility here. But the onus of responsibility clearly lies in the players' union. Um, I'm, a, I'm an old-school person. I believe in the three musketeers approach to, uh, to labor economists. Um, and, and I'm going to be, again, I'm giving Mr. Clark, Tony Clark, the executive director of the MLBPA, the benefit of the doubt. I understand that the first job of any executive director of any union is to the dues-paying members that he represents. I get that. Believe me. People have said Gladstone hates unions. Gladstone doesn't like this union. You're right. I don't like the actions of the MLBPA because a union is supposed to take care of the hardworking uh, men and women in this country. Uh, that's not what's happening here. And I think it is shameful. You heard that right. Shameful that the men who grew this game, who went out on strikes, who endured labor stoppages, who, he who held picket signs outside of ballparks like they did in 1972 when Major League Baseball lost, I believe, eight games. I think most in, – in fact, I'm pretty positive that the, the, the Detroit Tigers would not have won their division in 1972 because they played 152 games, the Red Sox played 153, and the Tigers won the division by a half game. Those eight or nine games that were lost because of that first strike, a lot of the men who I'm, excuse the pun, going to bat for – were the ones who actually went out on strike so that free agency could be ushered in. You know, that's a question um, that I never asked uh, when I had an opportunity to ask, and I'll sure, I'm surely going to make another phone call to find this out. Uh, when we went out on strike, not only in 72, but subsequent strikes, were we afforded uh, pension days? On the, on the strike days that we were out, were we credited for days on the pension when we came back? That, that's a brilliant question. I'm going to say, and, and I'm shooting from the hip here, so I could be wrong, and God knows I've been wrong before, I'll be wrong again, um, that, for example, in 72, you lost 8 to 9 I think it was 13 days. days. I think it was thir 13 days. Okay, 13, yeah. So let, let's That's just say it was— 13 games you can't get back. Okay, so your, your, your thought process, and I don't know this for sure, but you're, you're the thinking that those 13 days, anybody that was on a major league roster for those 13 days, when play resumed, the Players Association, Marvin Miller at the time, did not negotiate in the collective bargaining agreement the fact— that those 13 days should count towards the major league pension. That is what I'm suggesting. Okay. Yes. I'm going to look into that because I don't know the answer to it, Doug. And I don't uh, know it either. I'm not going to suggest it either way. Uh, I've kind of held back from doing that. And, uh, you know, I have found out some things that, um, that I've seen that have been, uh, that have been printed that I think are a little off. 
that I think need to be explained out more. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's something that we're going to continue to do uh, as we bring this to the forefront. Uh, this is certainly – I tell you what, I'm as interested in this as anybody else. Uh, even though I've got the – I max out at 10, I found out the other day that I get credit for any day that I spent on a major league roster over 10 years towards pension money. Mm-hmm. I did not know that until it wasn't even the other day. It was yesterday that I was on the phone with somebody in the pension office because I had another thing that I wanted to ask him about. And going back to the 72 strike and what you explained, that is where my problem lies with this. Any player, and I hate to have to separate, but sometimes you do in negotiations. That's all there is to it. There has to be a separation somewhere. They can't, unfortunately, I wish I was making as much in the pension as the guys that are playing now. I wish my pension check was for as much as theirs are going to be for for when they retire because it would be almost double what it is now. So I wish it was – I wish it was what what they're going to make, and I and I feel I feel like uh, I walked those picket lines. I went on strike, and I put these guys in a position to make the kind of money that they're making. So I think any group that you look at that was in a union, and that went out on strike, and that fought for what they believe, I think we all can look back at it and go, you know, we made the union what it is today. But any player. That's part of the 640-some that you're talking about that fell into the category of going out on strike should certainly have more awarded to them than the other players that didn't go out on strike. And, again, I know I'm separating. I can't help it. That's part of negotiations. That's part of what union does. Uh, It's part of what you do when you go and negotiate with an ownership group. Uh, I mean, I spent many, many hours sitting in front of Marvin Miller and Don Fear and listening to them, and it's a complicated thing. And even today, um, it's so complicated to try to find out what you have coming as a pension uh, because of the fix, because of the variable. I mean, it's you know, it's constant questions. It really sure. is. But I well, you're preaching to the choir. I appreciate your efforts. Uh, we're going to be on this thing. Uh, I'm certainly going to. Uh, um, to continue to look into it. Um, but, you know, I think uh, that there has been effort. I don't think uh, the way that you do. I think that uh, Major League B- Baseball certainly didn't have to have anything to do uh, with writing checks to those former players since, uh, I think, around September of 2011. Uh, and then another check was written for him in uh, – in February or so of 2012, that's when the check started. Um, it was supposed to be for a certain time period. They extended it through that collective bargaining agreement. This last collective bargaining agreement that was signed, sealed, and delivered in 2016, there was talk. And this was extended another five years for these well, players. Well, wait a minute. If, if, I could, if I could just jump in here. Um, when this went down and when the agreement was announced on April 21st, 2011. Uh, They were in the midst of the CBA that expired in 2016. In 2016, 
they renewed it. Uh, and then it was renewed in 2000. Um, pardon me. No, it was renewed in 2016. Uh, so, yes, they didn't have to. And I'm the first one to admit, legally, like I said, the league does not have to bargain or negotiate about this matter. And I'll do you one better. The union does not owe a vested retiree, um, such as yourself, by the way, um, the duty of fair representation, i.e., they don't have to be their legal advocate. So I get completely that neither the union nor MLB have to do anything legally. Morally, however, morally is on a different, you know, where morally they, they're coming up short in my estimation. And, and I could go into the reasons why I feel that way. Perhaps, we'll sh- perhaps we should table that for another discussion if you're good uh, enough to invite me on um, again. But again, in my opinion, I don't see that any strides are being made, and I want to close with this. You say strides have been, have been made. I say in the last collective bargaining negotiation and and i'm not making this up you can you can go and and find it in in the agreement that was ratified in december 2016 every vested group every vested group got a 25 percent increase you know who got shafted the pre-80 1980 vested the pre I didn't get uh, no, non-vested men. That, Doug, that's not correct. Oh no, it is. No, it's not because I'm a. I was. I'm in class eight. We're working on class nine right now. I'm fully vested, and my. I can tell you one thing. My check didn't increase twenty five percent. It might have increased a little bit because of the variable rate and the investment mm-hmm. that they make. Uh, with that money, like you were talking about, it, two, it is $2.7 billion, and I would imagine, and that was the last count. I mean, with the investment in the stock market and what it's done in the last year and a half or two, I mean, it might be 3 and a half or $4 million or $4 billion right now. I don't know that for a fact, but I know, I know one thing. My check didn't grow by 25%. So okay. I'm going to look into uh, I'm going to look into that. I've got notes I'm written gonna down. I'm going to send you the information. You can share it okay. with Mr. Fear. I'd like to know I'm I'd like to know where my twenty five percent increase is. That's okay. all. So all I right. tell you, I tell you what, I hope you're right. I really do. I hope you're right. But, I'm glad you took out the time, Doug. Thank you very much. I've got to cut it off though because uh sure. We're going to my next couple of guests. I don't want to run over on this thing. My podcast seemed to get long and drawn out at certain times, but uh you know, my next guest is one of my former teammates, and I can't tell you how much I love this guy. Uh, back in 2016, he called Jose Batista a disgrace to the game. He said that baseball is becoming a friggin' joke because of front offices that rely on advanced analytics, as well as some of the rule changes, especially the one involving the takeout slide at second. If you remember the Yankees, 
and the Kansas City Royals had some of the greatest takeout slides at second base in the history of baseball in the postseason. I mean, I can remember Hal McCray and George Brett going down and taking out Willie Randolph and the shortstop, uh, Chicken Stanley or Bucky Dent uh, for the New York Yankees. I mean, it was unbelievable. This spring, Goose was all over Brian Cashman, the general manager, the current general manager of the New York Yankees, because of the snub he received about not being invited to the Yankee camp as a guest instructor. You know what he said? He'd have gone 10 years ago if George was still around, referring to George Steinbrenner, of course. So how are you, my friend? What's going on, buddy? It's good to talk to you again. Yeah. So tell me something. Yeah. Uh, I did. I don't think you got to hear the intro about uh, no. you being a little controversial at times. And did you know that? Well, you got to let them know you're still alive, <laughs> Kurt. The <laughs> fuck, <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's all. Yeah, there's a guy that knows I'm still alive. Our buddy you Lasorda. Bet I, you bet I do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I told everybody that back in 16, you called Batista a disgrace to the game. You said that baseball's a freaking joke because of front offices relying on the analytics. Have you kind of gone back on that? Or do you see uh, analytics as being a big part of the game now and the sabermetric portion of it? Well, they've lost all track of whatever else there is, uh, uh, everything else there is to know in the game, Kurt. You know, nothing the, – the, they don't let the coaches coach. Uh, you know, I think what's happening like this year, I think the <clears throat> front offices are seeing, uh, you know, where where they don't put a lot of, they don't have a lot of respect, these guys that are running these ball clubs today for veteran players. And how, you know, how, how, how important – Coaching is. You watch a baseball game today, K, KB, and and uh, you see all kinds of one-on-one mistakes that you know are made in the minor leagues, not in the big leagues. So if they don't have any respect for veteran players, they certainly don't have any respect for veteran managers. Well, and I think that they think that they can pay a younger kid because you know the veteran things like base running. One on one. Look at the base running that are that the mistakes that are made. Uh, you know, you you watching championship baseball at the at the end of the season, postseason, and write get a get a uh, legal pad and write down all the mistakes that these kids make. And this is the best there is. I'm not saying that they're not talented or anything like that. I'm just saying that they. They are not learning how to play the game, and it's being lost by the guys that are running the game. And that's what I got so upset with Cashman was was about, uh, you know, I said it's the revenge of the nerds. Well, he certainly didn't want an old-school kind of player in his camp to to mess things up for Aaron Boone, probably. Is it well, first you know what, I didn't leave him any choice, KB. <laughs> I mean, uh, Cashman's their man, and and uh, they made a decision, and and um, 
you know, I really didn't leave him any wiggle room at all. You know, they they hired him on, and, and he's their general manager, and I just don't happen to think the way the, uh, you know, you know, I think one of the biggest things, KB, in the game today is the torch is not being passed as it was to us about how to act. And that went from not only the players, but it came down through the system of baseball. The, the executives passed that torch to the executives. The, uh, you know, the coaches passed it on to coaches. And players, uh, you know, anytime I made a mistake out or, or showed, you know, maybe I made a, I made a gesture, didn't really even make a gesture on the mound, but I like kind of looked in the umpire, the umpire, um, you know, I kind of showed, didn't really show him up either. I walked into the dugout after the inning was over and Wilbur Wood grabbed me and he said, don't ever do that again. And it was for my own good because he said the umpire is going to stick it to you. You know, so, you know, it was an education on top of the education. And and I see a lot of things that are slipping through the cracks. And I, you know, that pass, that torch is not being passed like it, like it used to. You mentioned Wilbur Wood. Uh, that was back in the day when you were wearing a different kind of pinstripes. The Chicago oh, my, White yeah. Sox. I mean, I... Well, the White Sox is where they drafted me out of high school, and and uh, you know, uh, you know the thing they drafted me out of high school, and then I played five years in the big leagues with them, and had some great years there, and and uh, you know I cut my teeth there. I I have so many fond memories of Chicago. Uh, I have so many fond memories of everywhere I played, San Diego. Man, I I love those people, and I still love those people, and. And I love the fans. You know, that was one of the things that uh, I was taught at a young age by Chuck Tanner and, and um, you know, a, a tough bunch of coaches to uh, point it out point blank to me to take care of the fans because without the fans, we wouldn't have a baseball game. And, you know, I, I hope the kids today uh, respect that. And But I was made sure that I – I knew that, you know, and and they went out of their way to tell me that. So, you know, these are things I I love the game so much, and I don't like all the changes that I've seen, like replay. You know, baseball, Kurt, uh, you and I gave up on it a long time ago trying to figure it out and trying to control it. It has a mind of its own, and uh, it seems the more you try to control it, the crazier it gets. And if you know what I mean, and then replay, I said, who's died in the last hundred years because of a bad call? You're never going to, they're taking all the character out of the game and all the, uh, you know, all, all of the character, really. You know, they're not going to see another umpire or a manager come out and throw bases and kick dirt all over the umpires. Uh, you know, that brought people out of their seats. I know. I, I, and, missed, I do miss that part of the game. <laughs> I well, absolutely, and, and and they want to speed up the game, and now, you know, there are plays even on replay um, that you can't even tell on replay. Leave it up to the umpires. The umpires have done a wonderful job. When I was coming through the, the big leagues, the umpires were awesome. Sure, they make mistakes, but that's life. That's baseball, 
JB. That's what baseball parallels life in every way. How you deal with failure, it's a failure, it's a game of failure. Now, what do you say, what do you say about having replay in your mind uh, in the oh, postseason? Oh, I can't stand in the postseason. it, JB. How about in the postseason? No, why? Or for the World Series? Why? Leave it alone. Why? Do you, would you Did want to see somebody lose a no-hitter because of a bad call? and missed the play at first base? No. Not at all. And, and did anybody die? No. No. And did they live with it? Yes. Do we feel sorry for them? Hell yeah. That's a tough break. My God. But life goes on, KB. Why are they trying to control this game? Because they try to control everything else. So speaking and of... And it's uh, being run by a lot of... All these non-baseball people, KB. It, those torches are, are, are not being passed today. Speaking you of know, changes. Being a coach today, if you're not their best friend, you get fired. If they don't like you, goodbye. You know, our greatest coaches, or my greatest coaches, and I'm sure you'll say the same thing, the greatest coaches that we had, KB, were the toughest. That's and a they true loved story. Us. That's a true story. And they loved us, Yep. too. They put an arm around you, too, but, boy, they wouldn't hesitate to put both feet in your butt. You know, and and they got your attention, and there was some urgency. True story. So I started to say something about changes. Uh, bullpen cart, what do you think? It's back. <laughs> oh, I, I like it. You know, anything like that. That was fun. Uh, you know, the cars and things that we used to. When I, was, when I first joined the Yankees, KB, I got – I put so much pressure on myself – Sparky Lyle had won the Cy Young Award. I come over. They're world champions. What else can I add to this team? And I come over and they give me Sparky Lyle's job on a silver platter. And I proceeded to stink the place up. Well, we were, we were 14 games out in late July or in July, and we ended up catching the Red Sox. But it's the greatest comeback in history. And Cravia wouldn't have been the greatest comeback in history if I hadn't dug us that deep hole to begin the season. <laughs> I lost the game. I would get to the mound, and Munson would ask me, "How are you going to lose this one?" That's always, that's always a pat on the back. The, I couldn't believe the first time he asked me that. I couldn't believe it. But we used to have a little Toyota. Toyota was our sponsor. And this is 1978 at Yankee Stadium, and the gates used to open up out in the bullpen, and then one of the the, the, the ground crew used to fight over who was going to bring me in because it was a dangerous job. Because by the time this car got to front of our dugout, it was covered with everything they were eating or drinking. We had to turn the windshield wipers on to see where the hell we were going. And, and uh, so... Yeah, I love the 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 bullpen carts and and cars and and um, it's a lot of fun. I uh, <laughs> love the fans. Love playing in San Diego. Love playing with you and and uh, you know you were a character as was we had a we had a cast of characters. We had and, a few of them, didn't we? And we had a lot of fun. We did. So looking forward to coming out and and uh, great being on your show. Can't wait to see you. Thanks, Goose. We'll talk soon. Bye, buddy. Goose Gossage, the great Chicago White Sox, New York Yankee, San Diego Padre. You know, I never knew that about him. 1972, 
was his first year in the big leagues, and he started in the strike. And then in 1994, his career ended in the strike. That's really interesting. I'm going to tell Barry Bloom about that because he's coming up. See if uh, see if he knows that little tidbit of knowledge that boy I learn stuff every time we do this show, and I'm sure you all do also. It's a, it's always good to talk to Goose. Um, I can't wait to find out about some of this stuff about the pension plan and what the deal is with whether or not you get credit while we were out on strike because it does make a difference. You know, it's not a lot. It's not going to be a lot. It might be a few bucks. But, you know, when you max out on a pension, but there is that variable part of it that they can give you a few more dollars, I guess. And it's, well, trust me when I tell you, it is so complicated. Babacqua. Yeah. It's about as complicated as Lasorda. Babacqua. Barry, you remember him getting on me about that? Uh, did you ever hear that? <laughs> no. I, I, how could I ever forget that? T- <laughs> Kurt Babacqua. Kurt Babacqua. He couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat. <laughs> Barry Bloom. <laughs> <laughs> Member of the Baseball Writers Association of America. This guy's been around a long time. You, were you actually, you were a beat writer along with Phil Collier for the San Diego Union Trib? For how long? Well, I was, uh, I was, uh, I, <clears throat> I was hired at the Trib in 1982 uh, when Phil was still covering the Padres for the Union. So uh, it would be until, um, 1986, oh. when we ran Phil off the beat in the famous uh, Ballard incident at uh, Yuma, where he tried to uh, subject you guys, Joan and him tried to su- subject you guys to a to a uh, drug program outside of the baseball uh, drug program, which had been agreed on by the union, and uh, he tried to defend it. We ran him out of the out of the press room in Yuma, and Phil was like out covering a go- playing golf that day when all that was going on. Phil was the greatest boy. <laughs> yes, he, he was. was. He was. He wasn't called the Phantom for a reason. And that's for sure. So you've been voting on the Hall of Fame since 1992. Am I year right? Yeah, that's the first year. Um, I, I I did it was uh, was Seaver Raleigh's year, yeah. So I want to ask you something. I've never asked this before, and uh, I don't I don't talk to that many people that vote that vote for the Hall of Fame, especially one that's uh, been voting for as many years as you have. Um, next year, when the vote becomes public, or in other words, when Barry Bloom cast his vote. People are going to be able to go online or on social media or whatever, just everything that, that they do now, and see who you voted for. Is that going to put extra pressure on you as a voter, or are you going to b- basically do things exactly the same way as you always have? Oh, I, I mean, I've made my vote public every year for about 10 years. I mean, I, 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 as soon as, uh, you know, we really started in the whole social media era, 
You know, I usually write a column on my uh, my vote that year, and I post it right on Twitter, and I take a picture of my ballot and put it on uh, on uh, out in social media. I'm I'm completely transparent about my vote already. So whatever whatever the Hall of Fame, you know, decides to do with making everybody's vote public is up to them. I mean, right now it's still a voluntary thing. And if, as you might know, I mean, last year uh, the baseball writers voted pretty almost unanimously to, to expose everybody. And then the Hall of Fame board of directors shut it down. So right now it's still voluntary. I don't think it's going to change. Uh, I, I'm glad you used the word unanimous because that was going to be my next question. Why yeah. has there never been a unanimous vote to put somebody in Cooperstown? Uh, I think it's a, it's a it's a fun function of the way the ballot is structured. Uh, you know, you get to vote from zero to ten guys on the ballot. I mean, there were people you know this year who who put three or four names on the ballot. You know, in this era since. You know, the so-called steroid guys got on the ballot uh, in 2011, I think it's or 12. That I've, I've had to use all 10 of my spots every year. And there are some years, like this year, you know, I could have used 12 or 13. So people have the ability, you know, to vote who they want, who they don't want. I mean, there are years where you might look at your ballot and say, you know, Kent Griffey Jr. is going to get in anyway. I'm going to use his spot on my ballot. For Larry Walker, because if I don't do that, he's not getting on my ballot. He's not getting a vote. So I'd rather do that for Walker and forgo, you know, Griffey. There's a lot of reasons why you might not put a guy's name on a ballot that that's not salacious. And then some guys, you know, send in blank ballots. So I think you're just never going to have a year where uh, everybody's going to put one name on everybody's ballot. There's always going to be a handful. And I think in Griffey's, it was like five or six. Maddox also was, you know, very few. Uh, but it, you, you never have like uh, a time where you're going to have a, a fully unanimous ballot. Have we seen the last of Bartolo Colon? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, no, I mean, the Padres could still pick him up, can't they? You know, they start losing. Uh, the Padres are going to pick up Colon. <laughs> <laughs> Although he is he in his first and only major league home run at Petco. I know he did. And it's like uh look, he's the Bartolo is 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 the perfect padre in a situation where uh you know, they're still trying to get minor league time for a lot of their young pitchers and they don't want to bring him to the major leagues prematurely. And he's a perfect stopgap pitcher, you know, for a team like the Padres. So let's talk about 2018 for a second. Um, there's been some some changes in the landscape, uh, so to speak, in the last couple of weeks, especially the last week. Uh, and I'm speaking of uh, a Turner uh, up in Los Angeles uh, breaking his wrist and, and Madison Bumgarner with, uh, with the finger. Um, if, in fact, you team or teams that you had predicted to win a division or win – the National League or American League or the World Series, um, have have things changed because of injury or because of anything that you've seen so far? Or are you sticking with 
predictions that you might have talked to people about a month or two ago, even though Turner got injured and Bumgarner's out until the All-Star break, probably? Um, yeah, it's interesting you ask that because uh, I, I'm just finishing up a, a predictions column, which I'll, I'll post on Forbes.com tomorrow, and uh, you know, I go over what's happened in the last in the last few days, uh, you know, in the last few weeks in the West alone. I mean, the Diamondbacks also lost, uh, you know, Sousa Jr. Uh, the Giants lost Smarja for a month. Um, you know, you get Turner, as you pointed out. Uh, the Padres lost Lamette. I mean, it, so yeah, it certainly changes the equation. And if I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the Giants, and I thought they were a little short of pitching anyway, you know, that they should have gotten out and signed another pitcher before this all happened. Now I think what happens to the Giants is devastating. You know, their season to me is almost over before it even it starts. I don't know how you weather a month or two without Bumgarner and a month without Samarja, you know, with the type of staff that they have, they don't have, you know, they have three veteran pitchers and that's it. And there, and it's too late to go out and sign another pitcher. So, I mean, to me, yeah, you write the giants off Uh, the Dodgers, you know, I still think they'll win the division because they're a team that's built. They're deep enough to uh, sustain a six week injury to Justin Turner. They just have so many bodies. Uh, so I don't think it really affects that greatly, but it certainly puts the whole NL West in, in a tumult going into the season. Well, I, you know, I have to tell you that uh, I, I tend to agree with you a little bit there with uh, as far as the Dodgers oh, no. are concerned. And yeah, I know. Can you believe that? <laughs> and and I, I was sad. Uh, as a matter of fact, this is an injury – uh, to Madison Bumgarner that probably uh, hit me the hardest in the last few years. I mean, I don't like to see anybody get hurt. But when I heard that he was injured and that he was going to be out for as long as he uh, is, um, I was I was truly sad for not only him but the San Francisco Giants. And I'll tell you why. Because, as you know, we saw one another. I was out in spring training. And I watched the Giants play a couple of days. i tell you what. They had a swagger. And Madison Bumgarner looked like he was on a mission. And I think he was ready to possibly turn in one of the better years that he's ever had in the big leagues uh, because of the uh, acquiring of uh, Longoria and, and also Andrew McCutcheon. And I think the, uh, just the growing up of that team and the ridding of a couple of bodies that they have – and, and I think the injury to him is, has devastated that ball club, and I feel really sorry for him. Yeah, and I, I had the same re, you know, feeling. Uh, I don't know whether you were there at that game in Salt River Fields when you know, he do- totally dominated the Rockies and then hit a home run before they took him out of the game. It was, but he, he, he gave up just, one hit uh, in like six innings. Yeah, it was yeah, a tremendous was performance. And then the uh, and I was at the game at Scottsdale the other day when he got hit in the hand, and you know you just knew. I mean, he gets hit, bends over to pick up the ball, drops the ball, the runners safe, the trainers come to the mound, and he walks off the field, and you knew it was it was a devastating injury. You know you you hope that well maybe it's just a, a bad bruise and he took it on the flesh of the hand, 
but until, you know, Boach, you know, reported to us at the end of the game what had happened, you know, we were all kind of in suspended emotion. And particularly, I mean, you're, I mean, you're close to Boach anyway. I mean, you played with him, and I'm close to him because I've known him since your team in 83, 84. And, and I felt terrible for him because uh, it just sets the whole season back. And this season was such an important one for the Giants to rebound for the 98 losses last year. Yeah, and I, I was very, very sad for the Giants and Boach and Bumgarner. And Bumgarner is a great kid. I mean, I'll tell you, you know, in all due respect with Clayton Kershaw and any other pitcher in Major League Baseball, if you gave me the ball to give to somebody for one game, it would be for Madison Bumgarner. That's how good he's been. I've seen him pitch so many great games for the Giants in the postseason during this run. I mean, he's the best post-game pitcher in history, practically. But he's right up there with Whitey Ford, and I saw him when I was good. Bob Gibson. I mean, the guy is absolutely tremendous. I, I would trust him with the ball in any big game. I would sure feel comfortable with him with the ball in his hand. Barry, I certainly appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks much for your time, and uh, let's do it throughout the season. Get reports from you. Uh, you know every team and every player in the whole league and in American League, too. So I appreciate you yeah. coming on. Thank you so much. Yeah, for you, anytime, Kurt. You know, we go back a long way. I love being on the show. Thanks. We do. We do go back a long way. Barry Bloom, everybody. Another edition of Dirty Kurt's Dugout just completed. Don't you love it? I uh, I thank uh, Doug Gladstone, Goose Gossage, and uh, the guy we just got off the phone with, Barry Bloom. Boy, boy, does he know everything there is to know about where guys are going to end up. Write those down. Take notes uh, when I do a show, and, and let's find out if these guys hit the nail on the head or whether or not they miss by a long ways. All of these people uh, that we have on the show. Uh, I appreciate you coming and uh, sitting on the pine with me. Uh, episode four is in the books. There's no splinters in my butt. We've been talking baseball. This is Kurt Bavakwa saying goodbye. Until next time, everybody, take care. The barber and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque. Especially Willie, Mickey and the Duke. Well, Casey was winning. Hank Aaron was beginning. One Robbie going out.